over a three year period of time, uh, students and families were able to earn over $15 million in scholarship. Welcome to this week's episode of the Weekly Wealth Podcast. That was a short preview of today's episode. So if you have teenagers in your life that'll be going to college soon, I hope that you'll be excited about this interview with Dr. Jen Price. Uh, Dr. Jen Price can be found at her website, mycollegeedge.com. And don't forget to check out our new website, www.weeklywealthpodcast.com. This is the Weekly Wealth Podcast with certified financial planner, David Chudik, where we discuss the wealth building mindsets and tactics that can help you to build and maintain wealth for you, your family, and your business. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of the Weekly Wealth Podcast, where we talk about the mindsets, the tactics, and the strategies to help you to build and maintain wealth. Well, today we're going to talk about um, a subject that can uh, that can cost a lot of money. And um, we're going to talk about college planning and college tuition. And obviously, that has huge implications for both parents and students' wealth for literally decades after that. So we're really excited to have uh, Dr. Jen Price. Um, on the podcast with us. So Dr. Jen, take just a quick moment, tell us a little bit about uh, about your business and maybe something about you personally. I've done this for a while uh, and it's a joy and definitely if families see results of implementing what I teach them. Well, this is definitely going to be interesting for me because I have twin 13-year-olds and a 17-year-old, So, um, uh, which means I'll have uh, no money for the next, uh, next 20, or <laughs> 20 or 30 years. So so 2020 has been crazy, man. I mean, there's this this virus going around and um, we're physically right near Clemson. It, you know, it's shut down and and I have some professor friends and, and they've they've talked a lot about, you know, how, how the, the quality of education, maybe everything's open book right now. So things have changed a little bit. Talk to us a little bit about like how's the college admissions process changed with with COVID and 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 is it different um, you know than it was even last year? Wow, everything is turned upside down, inside out. <laughs> there are so many question marks, and almost every day there there are updates and and there are changes. And and I really feel for this group of kids that are rising seniors just because. You know, as juniors, they had a hard time with, you know, some of the things they would have normally tackled, you know, things like taking the AP exam was a struggle uh, in terms of trying to learn how to do that online and, and have for the admissions process. Now, fortunately, some colleges have decided to be test optional. And so that's help, That's very helpful for students who maybe have not been able to get in and take a test, or maybe they're not great test takers. Maybe they have a learning difference. And so this is kind of an opportunity for them to have a leg up in the admissions process. My my 17-year-old, he he actually scored pretty well uh, prior to, I guess, everything being shut down. So do you think that'll be an advantage to him or will it be a disadvantage because maybe colleges are going to say, well... Uh, you know, a lot of kids haven't necessarily got the great, greatest education in the last few months because of online schooling. So we're going to loosen, loosen, you know, where we would have required X on the SAT. Now we're going to drop that down a little bit because it's been a tough, tough few months. It is true. We have had a, a, a tough couple of months, but the students who were able to test, they are actually, I believe, at an advantage. Although there are colleges that are test optional or that are waiving testing requirements, in the interim, uh, oftentimes when schools are trying to evaluate a student for a scholarship, they still want to see a test score. And so for students who have test scores, I say turn them in. 
Um, it could only help you if, if the score is at least the uh, in the middle range for that institution or higher. So what about like GPAs in high school right now? I mean, to a certain extent, whether it's official or not, everything's open book. So you would think kids' grades are higher than they normally would be, which would make them somewhat, uh, you know, non-reliable? How are colleges handling GPAs and class ranks uh, under this crazy circumstance? Great question, David. In terms of GPA, um, really the first couple of years will carry a lot more weight for this current class of rising seniors, that the freshmen and sophomore and the first half of the junior will carry more weight because oftentimes in the spring, uh, what, what high schools decided to do was make the courses pass-fail. And so in terms of the pass-fail courses, that really didn't impact the GPA um, if their high school opted for pass-fail. Or the ones that did decide to continue to take grades, even if they're a little bit inflated or higher than they might normally be, uh, the colleges will definitely still consider the grades from ninth, 10th in that first semester of junior year. So that doesn't go away. So when we were nagging our kids about studying when they were freshmen, they should have listened to us. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And I guess the kids now who are taking online exams and don't even care enough to cheat and have the open book, they're probably going to suffer uh, suffer as uh, as well, for sure. But but yeah, this is just such a hard time for, and I really feel for the, the, the senior class that just graduated because they've missed out on so much. Uh, my oldest is a, he's a, a really strong soccer player. And like, like every school, we have a rival and uh, we played our rival and uh, we we won and um, that was great and that they didn't know it at the time but that was their last game, so the the seniors on our team that they they went out beating the rival. Now we would have played the rival again and and the 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 seniors of the rival team in theory they had one more shot to 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 beat the rival but you know it's just with the craziness of this year it's been it's been really really hard. So um, and David, you bring up an important point about extracurricular activities. You know, because students, that's a, a really important part of the admissions process. How are you involved in school? And, yeah. and with COVID-19, I mean, that's interrupted a lot of students' um, sporting activities and, and the, where, where they're volunteering. And so students are really having to think outside the box to continue to find ways to, to show that they're involved and to yeah. continue putting out their resume. And I get it because I think that um, in normal times, don't colleges look at the student as a whole? I mean, anybody can take some SAT prep courses and score pretty high, but if you don't have the outside, and and I even think that even if you're not playing college athletics, the fact that you played in high school shows that you've learned teamwork and all of those, uh, all of those lessons as well. Would you agree? Absolutely. I mean, just being involved is is so essential. I mean, you learn leadership skills. You learn how to work as a team. You learn how you learn about conflict resolution. There's so many things that you learn, and and when colleges are evaluating a student, they're trying to determine what kind of value can you add to our institution. And so, I mean, obviously, they can add the academics um, piece in terms of you know bringing rigor to the classroom discussion, but you know how are they going to get along with their peers? And so, being involved in those extracurricular activities are a great way to show that they can get along with others. In normal times, did you have an in-person practice to where you would meet, uh, you know, meet in person with clients and families and students? And, and has that changed since, since uh, I guess, a couple months ago when the world uh, definitely made a big change, huh? 
Right. I mean, COVID I mean, has really impacted so many industries in so many different ways and, and even in education in, in some huge ways. And so as a college, um, as, a, as a life and career coach, and I, I focus primarily on teens, teens and young adults and helping them with college admissions and career testing, I, I fortunately had already started moving in the direction of virtual. Um, my PhD is in instructional design and technology, and my focus was online learning. And so I feel like I'm a little bit ahead of the of the game in terms of already taking a look at online learning and had decided from working in education in a traditional setting that, you know, with 500 students to one counselor, that just really was not an effective model. You know, you care about the students, you want to do the best job that you can to help them, but you're helping them make some really major decisions. And it's hard to get to know that many students in a short period of time when you're wearing other hats. And so that's part of the catalyst for me starting my private practice and working one-on-one. I've had a lot of success in that arena. Um, I'm working with students virtually like so many other professionals. But what I decided to do is, you know, I'm helping students one-on-one. This is great, but I still have a heart to help as many students as I can. And so I basically replicated myself uh, through an online course. It's called College Edge. It's an online college and career advice college advising course for uh, students in grades 7th through 12th is for students and their families. And essentially, they go through that process that I take families on in the one-on-one basis. And so they're able to follow the process that has proven to work in terms of students being admissible and in gaining um, numerous scholarship awards and having success in terms of aligning with careers that are a good fit for them. Okay, and we'll post it in the show notes, but that's mycollegeedge.com. Is that correct? Correct. Okay, correct. Perfect. It's replicating Dr. Jen. And so you can have Dr. Yeah. Jen in your home. Whenever you watch want. Watch the huh? videos. I like it. <laughs> watch the videos, it. do the homework, and, and go through that process. So does it drive you crazy? Like I said, um, I am physically uh, 10 miles from Clemson, and Clemson's a great school. But whenever a school starts having great football success, Everybody all of a sudden wants to go to Clemson. Now, again, Clemson's a great school, but because they have a, a really strong football program right now, that doesn't mean that, that it's the right fit for someone who's not going to play football. So how do you work with, um, you know, with, with students to, to, to work? Because you know, football and athletics are so big, and it's such a big, um, you know, it's almost a school's identity. And I heard some statistics after Clemson won the first national championship on how many tens of thousands more applications they had coming in. And, you know, I don't think that their their engineering program improved overnight after winning a football game, but uh, you know the the desire to get into the school. So, how do you work with kids with regard to the sports program? And maybe that you know, just because a team has a great football program doesn't mean that that's where you should go to school. Great question. And, and, and let me just say that I am in Texas. I'm a native of Texas, born and Uh-oh. raised, and so okay. in Texas, football is really a big deal. I mean, I went to UT Austin, University of Texas in Austin. Hook'em horns. So I am a Longhorn. I have two degrees from there. And, you know, football is huge, huge. It's a huge deciding factor for many of the students that I work with, uh, especially those that are um, young men. <laughs> That's right. definitely something we talk about. That's a part of our conversation. Or those that are in marching band or if they're in cheer or drill team, of course, that comes up. But one of the things I try to encourage students and families to think about is to be proactive in the college list um, and developing a college list. 
I say proactive because it's easy for a student to want to go where their friends are applying or um, where their family members have historically attended college or maybe a school that has a great football program where they can support the team and, and tailgate. And so really at the end of the day is looking at what are the things that are important for this student? I mean, first of all, does the school have your major? And I've literally worked, I mean, part of what I do is I found out what the student and the family, what their priorities are. You know, what are they looking for? It's almost like I'm a matchmaking service. And then they're creating a profile, a dating profile uh, with me for a college, their dream college. And sports is only one aspect of that, of, of the criteria in terms of identifying a best fit school. Do the, how do tuitions generally rank with the big football schools? Do you know, I know they have huge budgets and I'm not sure if they are or, or are not self-supporting, but um, does, does a big football school do, do some resources flow into education that maybe would tend to lower tuition or, or is that not the case? Well, one of the things I, I, I often answer in terms of questions, when families ask me questions, I often say it depends. It depends. It depends on what the institution's priorities are, um, you know, what, what kind of student body they're trying to attract. I will say, generally speaking, the larger uh, public schools, um, especially in the South, South uh, East, Southwest, or West in some cases, you know, where football is a little bit of a bigger deal. This, in general, the state schools, um, one of the ways that they try to attract academic talent is through some, something called tuition discounting. And what that looks like is they offer merit-based scholarships for students who have those higher GPAs, higher test scores that are really involved. And so if you're really being proactive, I mean, part of the fit is also a financial fit. It is the institution a financial fit? And just because it's an out-of-state school, that doesn't mean it's not a, a financial fit for your family. So I encourage families to look at, you know, go to the website for those colleges, like go to Clemson's website and, and Google freshman scholarships and see what type of opportunities are available for students so that you might find that it's more affordable than you think to come to come in as an out-of-state student, or even if you're in-state, that there are some merit-based opportunities for people from that area. So, you know, when you look at someone like myself that has three kids and, you know, you look at just what's happening in our country, you know, stock markets are up and down and down and up and uh, who knows what the coronavirus will bring, you know, in the next months. Will we have a second wave? How will the country recover? Are there some businesses that will never will open up, some industries that will never recover? You know, what can you offer as far as advice to parents regarding college costs? Because it is a huge, huge, uh, it's a huge cost and, and not that many families just have one kid either. Absolutely. And so when, in thinking about how the economy has impacted, you know, um, investment plans, you know, maybe families have, have a 529. I, ha I have a child uh, who's, who's a six-year-old, so I have time on my side in terms of, uh, you know, building up um, monies to help offset the cost of college. And plus he has a mom that's a college counselor. So <laughs> I'll use every strategy possible to help lower the cost. But for those of us that are dealing with right now or your, or your kids are in high school and they're approaching that time to wanting, needing to launch or about to launch for college, I have put together a report called Three Ways to Recession-Proof College Costs. Again, that's uh, a free report that I'm making available to, to parents uh, just to help during these really tough times. And the way to access that report, and, I'll, and I'm sure you'll put this in your comments, 
for your show, but it's tinyurl.com slash drjenreport. Again, that's tinyurl.com slash drjenreport. And I'll give you a little bit of a teaser uh, just so um, you know what what's, what are some of the things that I plan to talk about in that report. One of them, and we've already mentioned this on the show so far, is the importance of choosing the right school. I mean, I've had students come to me and say, oh, my dream school is Notre Dame. And the family, they really were not, they probably wouldn't have qualified for a whole bunch of need-based aid. And so I just reminded them, that's great that you like Notre Dame, but if you happen to be admitted and you're a competitive student, at this time, they're primarily giving need-based aid and your family's not gonna necessarily qualify for that. So you have to pay full price. Do you wanna pay full price? Or I had another student who was in a similar situation she was admitted to Duke. And so, but at the end of the day, they decided to go with what was a smarter choice for their family economically. And she decided to take an offer from a public um, school that could give her the opportunity to do engineering honors, allow her to continue marching band. And so she was still able to have the academic rigor and also have a more balanced life. But then also her family was only paying for housing because of the, the amount of scholarship she was awarded. So yeah, they only paid for housing for sure. full price at Duke. Like which one do you, which one is yeah, <laughs> full yeah. price at Duke? Just housing at a state school, out of state. So um, it, you, you want to look at financial fit. And so that college choice is one of the best ways to recession-proof college costs because you're, you're, you're being mindful of how that school awards money before your student even applies versus right. they fall in love and then you're trying to find the money. So are there specific degrees where the specific school really matters? So let's say that um, you have a child that just has always wanted to be a teacher. So I would guess many, many, many schools offer education degrees. And does it matter if you get an education degree from whoever the best education uh, degree in the state is, or if you just get an education degree? Um, Will one really help you to get a a teaching job, uh, your initial teaching job more than the other? And will one really make you a better teacher than the other? That's a great question. And that's, that's, I mean, I would say, I can answer that, but I, I feel like it, at the end of the day, it depends on what the student's needs are. I mean, some students will fare just fine at an institution where there are 500 students in a class. Like when I was at UT Austin, you know, you would have like 500 students in a class. Others will not thrive in that environment. They really need a smaller class size. You know, maybe they need to go to a Division II school or Division three or even a private school that offers um, a healthy amount of merit-based scholarships and I've seen students go to private schools and, and earn an education degree, but they receive so much merit-based money, it was the same cost of attending their public institution, their flagship. And so I will say, though, when I do talk to families, I, I, we do talk about what their career aspirations are, and does it make sense to go into a whole lot of debt for a career that you may not make, your earnings may never catch up to uh, or it may take a very long time to break even on the amount of investment that you make for that degree and what kind of earnings you can anticipate in the future. So do you have those difficult conversations, un- unfortunately, um, with, with with students? Because there are some degrees, you know, I've always thought, you know, you might be really interested in ancient German literature, and that might be something that fascinates you. 
the market, however, doesn't pay that many people um, a lot of money to to be an expert in ancient German literature. So I, I guess those are difficult conversations, but necessary for a counselor like yourself. Is that correct? Absolutely. And then I, I, I do believe in the power of dreams. And so I don't try to crush their hopes for the future. But what I do is I say, well, you know, that sounds great that you're interested in, in, in pursuing history or political science. But what if you don't get into law school or or what will you do with this degree in government? At, you know, if, if you don't go into a graduate program. And so what is your plan? And so I, I ask students to help me understand what their plan is. And I've seen students come up with a, okay, well, this is, I really want to study this area, but um, I know I need to, and so we can devise a plan. I can tell you one young man, for example, you know, his plan was to go ahead and get his real estate license after his sophomore year in college, which he did execute on the plan that we discussed when he was in high school. And fast forward 15 years, he has his own business. And he actually met his wife in college and they have a, uh, a business together in real estate. And so he found me on LinkedIn and sent me a commercial from his business. And so it worked out for him. He was able to study what he was very much interested in, earn a very high GPA, go on to graduate school. And this is a student that was a C student in high school. Wow. wow. <laughs> so, you know, it's possible to, to pursue what you really care about and what you're interested in studying. But you also have to have that conversation about, well, how will you take care of yourself? Mm-hmm. And that's important. Sure. And, and, you know, looking at, I guess, what's the average, you know, kind of middle of the road cost of a four-year degree right now? I mean, if what's your, what's your counselor, just generic number? I would say it also depends on what state. Okay. I think there's some, some states that are just a little bit more affordable. And if, if you're looking at in-state or out-of-state tuition, I would say it's not unusual to, to see costs in the, Particularly in in the Southwest, you know, in the in the twenties, um, mid twenties, yeah, mid upper twenties. So, so you're pushing a hundred thousand dollars, you know, over four years, and that is a huge, huge investment. That's a, a a tremendous amount of money, and it does need to be looked at as an investment that that can be recouped. Because if 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 you're not coming out with earning potential and you're not inherently wealthy, then that's that's just a lot of money that's gone. It is absolutely, and and so. You know, it is an investment. Mm -hmm. And so I I, I encourage families to have those difficult conversations with their student. A lot of times I end up being the heavy, (laughs) but but it's important to to communicate with your student about what you're able to afford. And and, and sometimes that's a really hard number to wrangle out of a parent. I'm like, so what's your number? That aside, how much can you afford to pay? I mean, sure, you can do the FAFSA or the CSS profile with your financial aid application, financial aid applications. And they have an idea what they think you can pay, and that may not be the reality. What is the number? And please share that with your student. I know you don't want to discourage them and make them feel like they don't have options or as many options, but you're doing them a disservice if you know you don't talk to them about money. So I know Clemson and probably many, many, many other bigger schools have, I think it's called like the bridge to Clemson, where you can go to the local technical college and it's it's not free, but it's you know you're you're knocking out some of your lower level courses, and then you ultimately graduate with a Clemson degree. And I'm sure that's that's common um, everywhere else. Now, if I were a hirer, and you came to me and you said, "Look, you know, I, I got my first two years of, of of basic courses at a technical college, and then I, I did my upper levels, and I have this pretty Clemson degree." I would look at you as someone 
who is smart and someone who, um, you know, made a good financial choice. And I would certainly not hold that against you that not all of your courses were taken at the big university. I would look at it positively. Are these bridge programs pretty popular? And um, (coughs) excuse me, what do you think about these bridge programs? I think it's a great opportunity. Not every student will score really high on a standardized test. And so some students need to be in classes that are smaller where the professor will know their name and notice if they're not in class and hold them accountable. It's a great way to transition. And and I do, and sometimes it takes young men a little bit longer sometimes as as they're developing still. And so that transition is not a bad thing. I mean, I mean, staying at home to save on housing costs. I mean, and and considering how things are with COVID right now, that's one of the things that, that I'm expecting to see in the next year or so, just more students opting for community college. One, I mean, for safety reasons, and also because of cost. I mean, not just the, the cutting out the living expenses, but also saving on tuition dollars. And right. so it's a great value. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, what matters is that you have that four-year degree. And your, your journey to that four-year degree may not have involved four years at that one institution. It could have involved two at a community college or, or two at a junior college. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. If, if anything, it might make you a better student when you do go into that four-year degree because you've had a chance to transition instead of just kind of jumping into that totally different experience. I mean, one of the things that I share with students is you may be smart at your high school, but think about it. You're the, you're in the top 10% at your high school currently, and now you're going to a university where everyone was in the top 10% or the top 6% of their graduating class. The academic level... The, the competition is much higher. Right. Not everyone is ready to make that leap. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. And 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 I think that happens with athletics. You know, also you're you know you're the best on your little team. Well, guess what? Now you're at a school where everybody was the best, and all of a sudden you're not so good anymore, are you? So I hear you are releasing a book pretty soon. Tell us about your book and and uh, some of those details. Sure, I'm I'm very excited. I'm actually pre-selling the book on Amazon. Um, the book is called Generation Edge. Uh, it is it's about it is your GPS to career success, and and I and I wrote this book because I wanted to share a little bit about my story and my journey to how I how I went from becoming a first generation uh, college student to someone who went on a full. I was told I couldn't go on a full academic ride, and I did. Both my bachelor's and my master's degrees were both um, paid for with scholarships, and I have a PhD and. And I came from a single parent home. Um, my dad was a widower. He raised four girls. And so I share a little bit about my personal story and some of the lessons that I learned. But then I also talk about some of the, these lessons and how they relate to helping students make choices about their career and making choices about college and, and just helping them put together that resume that will help them to be admissible. I mean, the, the whole edge piece of the title, it actually is, is a part of a methodology that I introduced to families. Um, E is explore and excel. Uh, D is determine fit. Um, G, gain experience and skills. And then E, evolve and emerge. So I share my framework and then I drill down into some strategies. And these strategies are present in my online course, College Edge, but there are also some activities within the book to help the student just to really come up with that plan for career success. You know, they're able to go to college with a plan and not take five years, six years to get that first degree, which is a way that it costs more when you take a long time, but to go in with that focus and come out with a plan 
and be happy in their career, not just get a degree in something and then try to figure out what they want to do. But isn't it, you know, I've always thought it's somewhat unfair that, you know, we're asking 16, 17 year olds to make some permanent decisions at a time where, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And I have one kid and he's, he's financially driven. I think that's awesome. And he's looking up salaries and saying, Hey, I want this job because they make this much money. And there is nothing wrong with that. I want everybody to make a lot of money. But if you end up in a, in a career that is just does not suit you and you're making a lot of money, I guess it's better than being in a career that doesn't suit you and being poor, but it still doesn't give, uh, doesn't give fulfillment. So, I mean, I guess you address it all in your process, but it just, you know, you're, you're asking kids to make some pretty, pretty important decisions at a young age. So talk to us a little bit about that. Sure. And it does definitely sound like a big ask. And, and, and I can tell you from my own personal experience that, you know, I was like your son who was like, Oh, I want to, I want to make a lot of money. And so, I talk about my process because I chose um, a major that would, would generate a lot of income. I, I decided at one point I would be a pharmacist, and a lot of that was based on the income. And, and I did what I was supposed to in terms of doing a job shadow, had a part-time job in a pharmacy, and, and then I went off to college, and a college that had my major, and, and then I took organic chemistry, and I just talk about my experience with that course so I took it so many times, <laughs> I took the first course like three times and the second one twice. And, and I had one of those moments where it's like, you know, I'm pretty miserable. You know, I'm just I'm, not going to be a pharmacist. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, what if I could go to school and study what I really enjoy? That was kind of my moment, my aha moment uh, that I write about in my book and, and just going for some career testing. And I will say that a lot of colleges nowadays are really asking a lot of the students because they're asking them. What do they want to major in? And that's key to the admissions process because at some schools, you know, if you don't get into your major when you apply, there is not a guaranteed slot for you later in that major. So you really do need to know, uh, have a good idea of what are some good fit options. And so what I tell families is I really encourage career testing. And, and, and I know that that's a, you know, they're deciding at 16. Really what my goal is, is to help them get into the right neighborhood. Now, while they're in finishing high school, getting involved in clubs and activities, um, they are essentially, you know, knocking on doors and, and checking out other houses in that neighborhood, but just to get them in the right neighborhood. And so that when they are building that college list, they're building a list of colleges that have a series of majors that make sense for them, that has majors that consider their personality, what they're interested in, what their abilities are. And, and not just one dimension of the student, but, but all three, so that, so that the fit is, 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 is more likely to bring satisfaction if they go in that direction. Now, do you discuss entrepreneurial aspirations with 16 and 17-year-old kids? Because not everybody is cut out to, to work for somebody, and, and neither one is good or bad. It's just, it is what it is. Um, and there are people who who want to um, start their own company or want to work for themselves. And in some cases, there's not even a specific degree required. So how do you have that uh, conversation with a kid about, you know, possibly running their own show at a, at a point? Great question. I actually, when I was a classroom teacher at one point, that was one of the courses that I taught entrepreneurship. And, and my degrees are in education and counseling. And yet I ended up becoming a business owner. So, you know, after earning those degrees, I did end up having to go back and, and doing some learning independently and finding some programs to support me and workshops and seminars to help me 
um, as a woman, as a entrepreneur, to just, you know, fill in those knowledge gaps. But in my book, I talk about the EDGE methodology and one of the, one of the letters, the second E, it talks about evolving and emerging. And part of the, the thought along with that is to, as you are developing into a professional and, and, and really finding your, your way to contribute to society, um, you do need some skills. You do need some skills. And so it, it's not a bad thing to work for someone uh, for a season as you're, as, or even to you know, go to school and learn and, and then apply what you're learning and work for someone else and gain some skills before you launch out into your own endeavor. And so that second E in terms of my methodology, it talks about maybe for, maybe the student realizes, you know, I want to start my own business or maybe I want to start my own nonprofit. And, and you might not do that right out the gate because you, you really don't have that many skills coming out of high school. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? The funny thing is with one of the only reference points kids have with money is how much money athletes make. You know, LeBron James makes $50 million. And people think those are like real legitimate numbers that apply to us. Well, they don't apply to you. They don't apply to me. Uh, you know, I'm sure you're doing well, but, you know, $50, $100 million is, is just kind of what the athletes make. So um, I also think that a good financial just baseline education for kids is important, you know, as well, maybe to kind of know, you know, within a ballpark of how much money your parents make. So you could see what the lifestyle that you've lived costs, you know, what is, what is your parents' uh, mortgage cost? And because if you want a, a house that's going to be twice as nice as the house that your parents have, well, guess what? You're going to need to pay a mortgage that's twice as big. And that may not be, uh, may not be feasible based on, on, on your career choice or, or even just a career, uh, career path. So, yeah. So this has been really fascinating to me. And, and I think it, it, it's, it's going to help uh, two sets of people. It's going to help parents and it's going to help the students, both of which have a huge, uh, huge financial vested interest, uh, you know, moving forward. So is there anything else you'd like to share? Any tips, any tricks? Uh, we'll definitely include all of the, uh, the information, the My College Edge and the uh, Dr. Jen's report in the show notes. And we, we definitely encourage everybody to take a look at that. But uh, do you have any parting thoughts on the college uh, planning process? I would just say, I know that there are a lot of uncertain times right now. And, and things are just constantly changing. And I know it can feel very scary, but I do want to say that every, I, I, I truly believe that everything will work out in the end. I, I just hope that students and families are not feeling hopeless about the possibility of still achieving that dream or goal of, of attending college. Because, you know, you watch the money that you set aside for your child, not evaporate, but you, you see it diminished. And just know that right now colleges are, they still want students on their campuses and if anything, this is an opportunity to possibly be admitted to a school that might have been a little bit out of their reach academically before, uh, just because they want to fill those seats. And then also in terms of um, the cost, there are colleges that are discounting some private schools that are discounting their, their institutions and, and they're similar to public school costs. And so there, there are a lot of things that colleges are trying to do to incentivize students and families moving forward with that, with that dream of college. So don't give up. There's a will, there's a way. I will say that it does make a difference to have strategic information. And, and so the, the mycollegeedge.com and that tinyurl.com, uh, Dr. Jen report, that will help you um, have a competitive advantage and you can't go it alone, especially not in these times. 
and knowledge is power and you need to know what you are dealing with for sure. So Dr. Jen Price, I've enjoyed this, uh, enjoyed this conversation. Everybody who's out there listening, please check out mycollegeedge.com. We'll put that in the show notes and also tinyurl.com slash drgenreport. So tinyurl.com slash drgenreport. And we appreciate your time and this, uh, this knowledge that you've shared with us today. My pleasure. Thank you, David. The information contained herein, including but not limited to research, market valuations, calculations, estimates, and other material obtained from Parallel Financial and other sources are believed to be reliable. However, Parallel Financial does not warrant its accuracy or completedness. The materials are provided for informational purposes only. It should not be used or construed as an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security. Past performance is not indicative of future results.